I'm Hannah Croft. And I'm Ava Truckee, and this is Feed Me Your Stories. A show about food, pleasure, and community. Hosted by two best friends who don't have inside voices. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Feed Me Your Stories. Um, This week we have a very special episode. Um, Ava is en route to vacation in Idaho, and so I decided to take this opportunity to interview my dad, uh, who is a very important part of my food stories. Um, So should be interesting to see where our stories uh, intersect or where we have differing opinions. Should be good. Hi, Dad. Hello, Hannah. Hi, how's how's it going? It, it's going fantastic. Fantastic. That's good to hear. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Tell me something good that you've eaten lately. Um, well, I made a really good pizza last night. Tell us all about it. Um, well, uh, started out with uh, your mother's dough recipe made mm-hmm. from Liga which uh, <laughs> we've discovered is our, our favorite method for pizza dough. What and, is that? Uh, you know, it's, um, man, I don't know if I could explain it. There's lots of uh, recipes online for making dough, pizza dough from Biga, and it's a way to, um, you know, make, they make other bread doughs from it in Italy. And um, it's just kind of a way of uh, starting the dough process. Okay. Um, Is it like a yeah. score? Yeah. You know, it's it, it's made with the same ingredients as we make our regular uh, Neapolitan-style dough, but it's a little bit different process. And... Um, the best source for if you ever want to look up a recipe for it is uh, on Vincenzo's plate, which okay. has become my go-to for uh, uh, Italian recipes. Um, he does, and he's he's great because uh, he sp- does a lot of videos where he'll like watch Gordon Ramsay's Bolognese recipe and just destroy it um that sounds like something you would find very satisfying yeah and show every and show step by step how wrong gordon ramsay's (laughs) recipe is but i learned like a lot about you know how to make carbonara uh uh correctly and uh so the biga thing you know mom does the dough i do the toppings and the baking Mm -hmm. And, um, she, so she does, she made, um, uh, a batch of dough yesterday and last night's pizza had the, uh, mushroom conserva, uh, on it and some grilled artichoke hearts and some, uh, balsamic, uh, uh, red onion and arugula and mm. uh, different cheeses and no sauce, just some olive oil on the, on the, uh, top of the dough. And that sounds really good. It was, it was really good. Very yeah. good. So that's the most recent thing that I've eaten that was good. Nice. So last night. Yeah. So you're, so you're back to being able to cook a little bit more since your knee surgery. How's that? What was it? How was it to not be able to cook for those like couple of weeks? Um, well, it was hard because, you know, your, your mom had to do absolutely everything 24 seven for me for 
a, a good solid two weeks um, because I just was in a great deal of pain and pretty hopped up on narcotics and um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't stand for long, long enough periods of time Mm -hmm. to try to cook. So um, just in the last week or so, I've been able to stand uh, up on my newly replaced knee and start uh, cooking and helping out around the house again. I'm sure that mom appreciates that. Man, she was a, she was a lifesaver. <laughs> I'm sure that you appreciate that too. Cause I, um, yeah. if anybody yeah. knows you, you're not, it's not your strength to be like weighted on hand and foot. Uh, I don't mind that so much. <laughs> it, it was just, um, it was hard to, um, you know, they have to be so dependent on someone for sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, where did your affinity for pizza come from? Um, it's like something that I've always kind of like has been a thing pretty solidly for the past like decade. Uh, you know, we didn't start doing like the whole making our own dough and all that. We buy pre-made dough at uh, Trader Joe's or Oliver's. And then we started making our own dough. Maybe I think about the time that somebody, you know, uh, one of my friends, Dave Ginocchio told me about how much better a pizza steel was than a pizza stone in, in your oven, in your kitchen. And that just sort of, um, that really was a game changer in terms of the quality of pizza that I can reproduce at home. Um, and so that really, and I started, you know, experimenting with different toppings and uh, we started making our own dough from scratch, um, you know, shortly after we started using the pizza steel. And so that, that evolved for a few years. And then last year I got the, um, uh, this isn't a plug, but the Rockbox pizza oven. The, the rival oven. of the uni. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, by, made by Gosney, G-O-Z-N-E-Y. Uh, he does get Gosney. a cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rockbox, and, if you're listening, yeah, um, the producers of this podcast are broke, so yeah. <laughs> sponsor yeah. us. This is a- could be a commercial for Rockbox because everybody, you know, everywhere I go, I walk into the hardware store and they're selling unis or I walk into um, uh, Sur La Table and they're selling unis. And I don't see like Rockbox uh, out there is like in the retail realm other than online. And um, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool design, but that actually, you know, that thing gets to, 850 degrees in no time at all. And I can, I can make a really good quality pizza in 90 minutes. And I honestly, you know, somebody commented the other day on Facebook, like, and it was a woman whose husband owns a restaurant here in town where they do pizza. She goes, wow, you sure eat a lot of pizza. And I said, yeah, and I don't have to pay for it. Uh, (laughs) 
well, I do. I mean, I pay for the the right. the raw goods for it. But uh, having the uh, the portable pizza oven really is taking it up another notch in terms yeah. of the qual in terms of the yeah. quality that I can produce at home. Yeah, and it's fun. It is fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a nice. Very, like it's it turns it into an activity as opposed to like okay we're making dinner you know it's a thousand degrees in the house you can go outside in the same way that like grilling feels like an activity you can go out and like have cocktails on the patio and make a pizza and it's you know it's fun it's a little bit more interactive than when you would make pizza in the kitchen and then like bring it to everybody sitting at the table all like of there's that is- there's more involvement all of that is true um so aside from pizza kind of becoming this um you know decade-long experiment where you've been leveling up over the years like what's your what's your food story where where did your affinity or affection for food really start well i worked in restaurants for so long you know, well, I know that, but but oh, the, yes, the like five yeah. people who listen to this podcast okay. don't know that. Well, for uh, I worked in restaurants for many years during my uh, young adulthood, um, uh, and in pretty high quality restaurants. Um, you know, I, I started doing it sort of like a lot when I was in graduate school. Uh, and worked as a server and the first place was just a you know a steakhouse and not a really good one it was just like a sort of so-so steakhouse in santa barbara and it went bankrupt and i got a job in a very uh high-end french restaurant at the el encanto hotel in santa barbara in the I want to say it was like 1987 when I started working there and it was very regimented continental style service mm-hmm. with a maitre d named Demos Petropoulos who <laughs> was from and the only reason I got hired I wasn't qualified to work there because it was I mean the level of service that was provided there was light years ahead of what I had ever had any experience in. Like we wore white jackets and bow ties and did stuff table side. Mm -hmm. And it was very formal old world style service dictated by Demos, who was a uh, born in Athens and moved to Paris when he was 16 years old to work at Maxime's. And at the time, that was probably this, you know, late 60s when he moved to Paris. And Maxime's was like the uh, pinnacle of service and food i mean it it was it was the place in paris and demos brought all that kind of experience to santa barbara and he was a tyrant he would like watch one time you know you had to preset the table for every course that was coming up so that 
every guest had the exact right uh, uh, serviceware, tableware uh, for the next course. And one time I didn't put down a pasta spoon for a six-year-old kid that ordered pasta. And Demos took me, like veins were popping out of his forehead <laughs> because he was like, he goes, you did not put a pasta spoon uh, position, whatever, on table 24. And I was like, it's a six-year-old kid. A six-year-old <laughs> kid doesn't use a pasta spoon. And goes, the pasta spoon is not a tool. It is a symbol that you are anticipating what is happening in this restaurant. So anyway. So, uh, so you, you got started in food in like a very upscale, like kind of snooty way. Well, I worked at, I mean, my very first job with a uh, an actual paycheck was as a busboy uh, when I was 15 years old at Harris Ranch Restaurant in Colinga, California. Could you smell the cows from there? Uh, when you well, drive yeah. past I mean, Harris Ranch, it is the grossest thing. It's that it was the Harris family that owned yeah, the, yeah. this restaurant. And it was, it's a very, you know, it's a very famous restaurant because mm-hmm. it's so busy and um, it it is like no other place on the freeway uh, in California. That's for sure. Um, and so, but I didn't care about food then, you know. Um, yeah, it wasn't was... until I was in college, in grad school, that I started watching the chefs and their technique and what they actually mm-hmm. did to produce uh, something that was beyond just sustenance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was food like growing up? Uh, my mom hated to cook. Well, yeah, her, like my, one of my favorite stories about Nana is her, what I think, was it when mom met her for the first time that she uh, yeah, explained yeah, that was. her dream house didn't have a kitchen? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was. She said, Oh my God. We met my parents at the uh, Mid-State Fair in Paso Robles. That's where mom met uh, mm-hmm. my mom and dad. And we were walking through, you know, like the exhibits thing. And my dad said something to my mom about, uh, you know, they were something that was on display. And he said, oh, that will, you can have one of those in your in your dream house. And my mom said back to him, oh, my dream house won't have a kitchen. And I never really, you know, I never really realized that she hated to cook. I mean, she always put a decent meal on the table, but um, she really, I guess, didn't really take much joy in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, She just knew that she had to. I mean, dinner time was 5.30. That's when my dad got home from work. And, you know, 5.30, dinner had to be on the table, needed to be on the table. Um, and there, you know, I remember her her um, versions of things like spaghetti that were, you know, w- that she did with, you know, like ground beef, Um a lot of ground beef spaghetti was with ground beef tacos were with ground beef um, we call those white girl tacos yeah she might have done a version of lasagna with uh you know just ground beef um we had a lot of casseroles uh tuna casserole um mm. for some reason she insisted on making liver and onions once a month which i 
I just like could not stomach. Um, yeah. And she, she did really good fried chicken. Um, and you know, her mom, my gram was a, a wonderful country cook from Texas mm-hmm. who, you know, made amazing fried chicken and, and collard greens and black eyed peas and, um, these really good deep fried hand pies she made, Ooh. uh, like apple. What else? Apple and peach. I remember. And that sounds really good. They were amazing. And she did preserve, you know, she made her own peach, did her own preserves mm-hmm. and, uh, jams and things like that. Cornbread. I, I remember, uh, Cornbread dipped in buttermilk was mm. I never I never developed a uh, a love for that, but that was something that uh, my grandma and my aunt and my mom all dipped their cornbread in buttermilk. Hmm. So I've I've seen that, but yeah, that I'm I I can appreciate, but that is not a tradition that you brought to yeah. our family because that. Doesn't sound great to me. Um, yeah. But, but my, you know, my gram was people's yums. My gram was an excellent cook. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you said I heard you say that Nana didn't cook for joy, right? Like she cooked yeah. because she had to because that was like part of her role in the family, right? Like when did when did cooking become for you like a source of like fun or or joy? Because I have a very specific memory around that, but I would love to hear yours. You know, probably I was, I mean, you know, I I would dabble in, in trying to make something better than in my twenties. I I would, I, I would try to cook something that was, you know, better than just like, a hamburger patty and, and canned green beans or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I guess, I guess maybe, um, I, I remember the first times, I guess it was when I moved, uh, you know, I moved in with your mom and we would have like people over for dinner. I, I, I would try to, you know, imitate things that I'd seen on restaurant menus, mm-hmm. something like that. So maybe, so maybe a little bit before you were born. Um, yeah. Um, I have, I have a very vivid memory of like you leaving, like once you stopped working nights at, at SMI, uh-huh, like food yeah. really transformed in our house. Oh, uh-huh. like I remember all of a sudden that that was kind of like, that became like a, an important part of our routines because well, we, because we couldn't eat dinner together all four yeah, of right. us up until then. Right. And like, then from then on, that was kind of like, that was the thing that we really prioritized was we all ate dinner together. Yeah. I, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I didn't I consider that part of it that up until you were, that was the summer between second and third grade because I yeah, remember so you, you getting like, a phone call from Ira on the Disneyland tram. Yes, that's right. That is true. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, I'm surprised you remember his name was Ira. 
But I had yeah, never that's... heard the name Ira. I thought it was really interesting. It's yeah, like a poor memory. That was when uh, I uh, got out of working in restaurants mm -hmm. and working nights. So, so only being home for back then, before that, I was only home for dinner two nights a week. Mm -hmm. But they were, I would try to make decent dinners those two nights a week. But after that, when I started working days, um, you know, we started having dinners, family dinners um, uh, every night and tried to make them a little adventurous, at least on occasion. I mean, look, we we ate a lot of grilled cheese. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, a lot of, gosh, I'm trying to think of what we used to eat a lot of when you guys were both living at home that was like kind of like a weeknight dinner and we did like a lot of you know stir fry or yeah, easy yeah, pasta yes yeah a lot of a lot of easy pastas and things like that but um, but grilled cheese was like the go-to when you know Sawyer had baseball and I had night practice and we would go get like a thing of tomato soup at Oliver's right and have grilled cheese yeah but but, did that a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I've always just kind of, you know, like weekends in your house always felt like you would take on like a project meal. Yeah. Right. I, like when I mean, I definitely spend more time on it. I would, I would look for new recipes that were, you know, simple enough for me to handle um, but that were, you know, something a little bit new on mm -hmm. weekend nights when I had more time rather than just rushing home, trying to get dinner on the table before you guys had to go do, do your homework and go to bed. Right. I always kind of saw the kitchen as like your domain. Like that was your space. Did it hmm. feel like... Does it still, does it feel like that's kind of like when you step into the kitchen and you get, you know, your, your me's kind of going and all of that, like what, what do you usually, what's, what's your mood? What do you feel when you're in the zone in the kitchen? <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of, um, I sort of like get, um, into just the actual, the labor process of it i i look at the recipe and see what needs you know how everything needs to be I, I like to have i like to look at the recipe and like not go through it step by step and say oh now i need uh you know a quarter cup of diced onion so i'm in a dice onion and right i i like to get you know set up everything so that it's it's chopped or diced or marinated or whatever and that i you know well prepared and organized to you know recreate the actual cooking part of it and um i do get uh there's a i don't know i guess it's sort of a uh the routine of chopping and, and, um, 
dicing and all that kind of stuff is sort of um, uh, because it, it requires a little bit of precision, you know, I, mm. I do kind of get locked in, yeah. I guess. And is it like meditative for you? Somewhat. Yeah, somewhat. Which is why I'm kind of quiet. I don't like yeah. in the kitchen. I don't, you know, I might have a baseball game on in the on the TV while I'm doing it or whatever. But, you know, um, I guess I, I don't always make it a, a real, uh, the kitchen is not always real sociable when I'm cooking <laughs> sometimes. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the kitchen has kind of become like, you've also, you and mom have put a lot of work into the kitchen itself like has what what is like i so the the crux of this podcast is really tapping into the intersection of food and pleasure and we've been talking a lot about how food is something that can be really healing or food that can be something that's you know a way for us to connect to community in a meaningful way mm -hmm. um how, in what ways does food feel, you know, connective or pleasurable or restorative to you? Um, well, it gives me, it gives me pleasure to, you know, like af after I've completed every, after I'm done, it gives me pleasure to sit down and look at the finished product, um, which is why I post pictures of it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, it, um, you know, when I did, like, if I do risotto or whatever, and at the end of it, it's like this, it looks really good. I take pride in that. Um, uh, I do like if I post a picture of, uh, uh, you know, something I've made on Facebook or Instagram and somebody, I mean, my, my greatest pleasure is if, uh, somebody like Massimo, uh, -huh. uh, comments, you know, and says, Oh man, that looks great. You know, he, he owned one of the best restaurants in San Francisco right. for, you know, 15 years. And if he says that looks really good, you know, or, or somebody like that, comments on my food i mean i have a lot of friends that are chefs or own restaurants and you know if i get a if i get a compliment from somebody like that it, it does mean a lot to me yeah um, uh so i i take you know satisfaction in that way but i also you know i just take satisfaction in the fact that it does it's something that i created and it tastes good and it gives mm -hmm. gives me comfort we i mean you know as well as i do that i'm I don't have a lot of people over for dinner very often, you know? Uh, so it's usually just me and mom. And um, I, I take pride in that, you know, she, she enjoys the food that I cook. Mm -hmm. um, it's, but it's obviously over the last couple of years, we haven't had very many people totally. over to cook for. Uh, but we did a few weeks ago and they were like, before my surgery and mm -hmm. they were like, Oh my God, these pizzas are amazing. You should, open a restaurant and I'm like, yeah, I'm sore from making three pizzas. So, <laughs> right. Like part I, of I know the... how much, I know how much work it is to own right. a restaurant. I've, you know, I, I call on restaurants every day and I, right. I, I know what a struggle it is for them to survive. So I don't want any part of that. 
<laughs> yeah, I want it sounds like part of the fun of cooking for you is it being something that is just for you and not necessarily something and like on occasion it's something that's for whoever comes over for dinner but it's not necessarily like the thing that you have to do every single day to pay the bills right it's something that you get to do at the end of a day to kind of you know zone in or zone out and just i i have yeah I, i have no delusions that cooking at home is like you know, cooking in a restaurant or owning right. a restaurant or being responsible for a payroll or um, providing a, a, you know, structuring a a well-organized uh, working restaurant kitchen. It's that's, I, I witness that every day and I have lots of friends that own restaurants and I, I, um, I'm in awe of their mm-hmm. ability to do it because it's extremely hard work. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there any, so you said one of the fun things about cooking or one of the nice things about cooking is the the aspect of comfort on a day where maybe you're feeling a little down or you're seeking that kind of warmth that comes from food. What's, What's the first thing that comes to mind for you to cook? To cook? Uh-huh. Or to eat, right? It doesn't have to be to cook. It can be just to eat in general. You know, yeah. if I'm seeking comfort, I'm going to, I'm not going to make Tom Ka. I'm going to, you know, order takeout Tom Ka because that's my go-to. Yeah. But what uh, what's the thing that, you know, when you're maybe under the weather or you're feeling, you know, like you really miss your kids who live in a different state or whatever. Yeah. What do you need? Um, you know, depending on the weather, the season and everything, the thing that, um, I, I like to both cook and eat that gives me, you know, a feeling of great satisfaction is risotto. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's simple, but it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. Like it um, is simple and, and it requires like a great deal of care. Yeah. You have to do, I think with risotto, you have to do everything at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can, you could fuck it up a little bit and rescue it, uh-huh. but you know, you still have to, you know, you don't just, throw in raw mushrooms and think that's going to impart like mushroom flavor to your risotto. Mm -hmm. You, you, you know, you have to, uh, I do anyway, I roast my mushrooms first and I, I take a lot of care with the preparation and, you know, I, I, I fall back on like my, my usual, like shrimp and, uh, bacon on mm-hmm. top of the risotto too you often. You say that like it's a bad thing. That's well, delicious. it's just getting, you know, it's like I do that too often. So I, mm-hmm. I need to expand and uh, find some new ways to like, you know, complement the risotto. Um, you know, like doing uh, uh, like braised short ribs or something Ooh, like that. Ooh, that sounds the good. Risotto would be good. Yeah. Or pork, pork belly. 
That sounds really like good. Um, but I do that shrimp and bacon thing yeah. a little too often. I always think of you um, when I eat risotto or make risotto because that's like the thing. Yeah. Right. That's like your labor of love. That is what people ask for when they come to visit. Um, and I always laugh on episodes of Top Chef because risotto is like the kiss of death. And I yeah. just never, yeah. it never like dawned on me that it was so like precise or, you know, like detail oriented because I have just grown so accustomed to eating your risotto. Like, it's just really funny to me to watch Top Chef and see these, you know, famous chefs fuck up risotto. And my perspective has always just been like, oh, well, it takes patience. It takes, you know, grace, but it doesn't. Well, it takes. You, you, you have you have set me up for a very, very high expectations of risotto. <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing about risotto is, and I don't know if it's me or if it's recipes, because Every recipe I've ever tried to follow for risotto, they never have uh, enough broth. They say, okay, and have, you know, two cups of broth to add, you know, slowly to your rice. Well, I I finished the two cups and my rice isn't near yeah. cooked enough. So I always, and, and every recipe I've ever read, and I don't know if it's something I'm doing wrong, I should... I should have Massimo come to dinner some night and have him do risotto with me and see. I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong because the results are like delicious, really good. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I read a recipe for risotto, it, it never um, seems to have enough broth. Um, There's never enough broth. There's never enough time. Yeah. They, the they say, you know, yeah. and they'll say add broth like three times. I, you know, I add broth over a period of an hour. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, and every time it soaks up broth, add more. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, and I don't know how they, uh, on Top Chef, they ever think they're going to prepare risotto in 30 minutes. Because <laughs> yeah, it, does always, it does always kill them. And yeah. then done risotto's bad. It's chopped. It is bad. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay, so aside from risotto, what kind of, are there any food traditions that are important to you or like, you know, feel significant? Um, well, I, I hate Thanksgiving. I know. <laughs> Just. <laughs> well, last time uh, I was home for Thanksgiving, we had lasagna and it was great. Did we? Oh, maybe no, that was Christmas. We had lasagna we did lasagna when we had the the when we had our big christmas dinner big, yeah uh friends friends christmas yeah um yeah i mean you know uh, thanksgiving traditions uh, i i know that there are people that can cook a good turkey i can't i think i don't think it's worth it to cook a good turkey yeah i mean uh, the the most the best I've ever been able to manage is like just getting a turkey breast mm -hmm. and grinding it and then grilling it. That's been okay. Um, I like Christmas dinner better than Thanksgiving dinner for sure. Um, and, you know, what, and Christmas dinner, you know, you, I've done a lot of like prime ribs for Christmas but you know, I, 
I like just doing simpler things too, like short ribs and, um, or, you know, to me, Bolognese is a great Christmas oh, totally. thing too. Yeah. Um, and then I, I also like Christmas morning breakfast. Yeah. That was, that's what I thought of when I think of like food traditions that I associate with you. Yeah. I like doing, that. you know, like a frittata or mm -hmm. whatever, something you can do ahead of time and then just, um, uh, pop it in the oven and, mm -hmm. and while you're opening presents and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but those, those are probably the two, uh, I would, uh, you know, Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve dinner or whatever, the, the big gathering we've done before mm -hmm. and Christmas dinner and Christmas breakfast. Yeah. I think about those and then the other like food tradition or like kind of, I guess, yeah, I guess we could call it a tradition at this point is like is bon me shitty bon me or like hole in the wall bon me places before concerts. Oh yeah. I didn't, I, I thought you meant, yeah, for sure. Like not, not cultural food traditions necessarily, but your food traditions, you know, yeah. things that feel, you know, important to either like make at a certain time of year or, um, that are kind of like rituals almost. And I think of, I think of standing in line at the Greek theater waiting to like get into a into a show and eating banh mi's on the sidewalk yeah those were good yeah i and had to walk a long way to get those i know i didn't yeah yeah um yeah the after show uh hot dog cart is good too mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. i mean um i remember the first time uh one time when Sawyer and I went to a Giants game and we, we went to um, the Bon, bon Me place. I think it's called Saigon Sandwich on mm -hmm. Larkin in San Francisco in the middle of the Tenderloin. Yep. And uh, I think I ordered both of our Bon Me's. She goes, do you want, you want them spicy? And I looked at Sawyer and he's like, oh yeah. And then we got him spicy and then we were sitting at the Giants game and I looked over at Sawyer and I think he had tears running down because they, they, they I mean I they weren't kidding about the spicy yeah yeah that's the that was a killer yeah yeah but you know funny. others you know I like um you know I think it's a tradition to go to whatever uh, taqueria when you guys come home and yeah um uh or food truck or you know things like that too yeah i mean the taqueria is something that we can't we can't get here there's no i mean there's there's certainly plenty of mexican food in colorado but there is yeah. nothing quite like a taqueria santa rosa santa, santa rosa is blessed with taquerias i Ugh. mean like next, Very true. next to you know, what you know um, there, there's so many amazing places. They have mm -hmm. the, the new uh, food, like it's uh, they built a, this whole um, uh, over there on Sebastopol Avenue. Yeah, called uh, Matote, and there's like they kind of rotate, but there's always like five food trucks there, and they have all kinds of picnic tables out and everything. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and there's even like a bar truck there now. Yeah, that's fun. Um, and that's that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That sounds fun. Um, is there any anything that you're you know before the the world ends, which you know is actively happening? Um, are there is there anything that you want to make sure that you get to eat? Hmm. Um, I would like to go to Italy and go to Naples and have like true, uh, Neapolitan, uh, uh, pizza, um, and go to Rome and have, you know, just the greatest carbonara that um is is available yeah like find out from locals you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. what's where do i i want to go to rome i want to go i want to have the best carbonara in in rome where do i go uh and i like to go i, I would love to go uh to both those places and do like i mean you know one or two day cooking schools that they do yeah yeah that'd be, that'd be fun yeah that um, cool. you know do like um oh god what's the sitcom where the guy the guy goes to uh italy and and to cooking school in italy master of none Mas- yeah yes master of none yeah. how did i forget that we don't we don't endorse aziz ansari anymore but that's a solid show yeah um yeah, that sounds really fun. Um, but yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to do that. Um, those are probably, if I was going to go one place in the world for food, it'd be Italy. Yeah. 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 I mean, for, uh, yeah. Obviously, food is great in all parts of the world but that that that's the that's the place that speaks to me the most yeah yeah that sounds lovely cool um well i think that brings us to our closing okay um do you have do you have any advice for folks who like want to start cooking more regularly or who want to um, any final thoughts for folks who might be pursuing, you know, a more thoughtful or intentional or pleasurable relationship with food and with cooking? That's a, that's a question. Um, spot the therapist in the family. Uh, salt, butter, acid, you know? Yeah. Balance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, use good salt. Don't, don't use Morton's table salt. <laughs> use, use good kosher salt or, um, uh, you know, good, uh, sea salt. Um, if it call, if a recipe calls for a tablespoon of butter, don't skimp on it, you know, Mm-hmm. Use a heaping tablespoon of butter. Mm-hmm. 
learn learn how to make learn how to make a good pan sauce. Um, learn learn how to deglaze a pan. Um, ah, um, make sure your pan gets hot before mm. you put vegetables in it because if, if it doesn't sizzle, <laughs> you're not getting any flavor. Um, <laughs> How's that? We're we're laughing right now for because this is a a lecture that both my brother and I have received in times that we've come home and tried to cook. Um, like I said, the kitchen is kind of it's kind of Perry's domain. Um, but I don't think it was and a lecture. He has a penchant for hovering. <laughs> mm, no. Out of love, out of love. The intention is always warm and not always received that way. But the number of times that I have been scolded for putting oil in a pan that's not hot yet. Well, that's okay. The you can put the oil, you can let the oil warm up in the pan. In fact, I have I have been corrected on that. Oh, okay. And, wow. And, um, I have been told, you know, if, if you're cooking with all, any kind of oil, put your oil in, turn the flame on, put the pan on, put the oil in, and let the oil warm up in the pan rather than waiting till the pan. Because mm. one, for one thing, if you're using a nonstick pan, that's it's bad to get a nonstick yeah. pan too hot with nothing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but be patient and let the oil or your butter warm up then add your vegetable, your saute, what you're going to saute uh, to the pan because, you know, the point of sauteing is to get a little bit of, you know. Uh, That's where, yeah, you want to get seared. the browning. You want to get that, like, caramelization to yeah. take place. So, so that that's important. That that's important information. That is. No, that is. That's great advice. It's important. I think of you anytime I see somebody put <laughs> vegetables in a not hot pan. Um, Have they ever said to you, it's not like you invented cooking? Did I say that to you at some point? Yes, you did. Was I what? 14? Or, no, you said, <laughs> you said when I, when, when you put vegetables in a cold pan that time, when you were you were home from college or something, and I said let the pan warm up first, and then you get a nice bit of sear. You said it's not like you invented cooking, Dad. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, which is like, true. It's not. I yeah, didn't. it's true. I would like to think that I'm slightly less of an asshole now, <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you know that cooking advice. However. Uh, you know, harsher delivery may have been. Um, <laughs> um, I should have just minded before, my own business. Before we close out, do you want to tell everybody about the time that you were mistaken for Anthony Bourdain? <laughs> <laughs> because I know it's a story that you love to tell, and Anthony Bourdain is an important part of our relationship with food. Well, since this is a podcast and people can't really see me, <laughs> we can put a, a photo of you in the show notes. But I do have gray, curly hair, and I was walking to a, a meeting in San Francisco down Post Street, just west of Union Square, and I had on a Army fatigue jacket, and I had my 
messenger bag over my shoulder and waiting for a light to change a woman who was probably in her seventies. She was standing beside me and then we were waiting for the light to change to cross. And she came, she goes, you know, she goes from behind. I thought you were Anthony Bourdain. Wait, I have never heard that part of the story. I thought that you were told that you look like Anthony Bourdain. No, 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 no. Well, that's what she kind of said. Okay. Uh, But no, she said that from behind, when I was, she saw the the army jacket or whatever, uh, the fatigue jacket, and um, she said, first, I thought you might be Anthony Bourdain. He tells this story anytime Anthony Bourdain comes up in conversation. So um, just wanted to give him a chance. Um, all right. Well, um, it's Dad, a good person to be mistaken for. I, I agree. When you're no. walking down the street yeah. of, a, of a busy metropolitan area. Totally. And if somebody mistakes you for Anthony Bourdain, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice little like ego boost. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, thanks for bearing with me and my first solo podcast interview. Um, and I hope that you cook good things and eat good things over the next few weeks now that you're back. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Love you. We will catch you next week, y'all. Um, I hope you eat good things. Bye.